So good evening, everyone, and welcome to our September installment of Strike Out the Stigma, presented by our sponsor, Kate Law Offices. We are beyond excited to be hosting you all tonight here at Citizens Bank Park. The Philadelphia Phillies, in conjunction with Mind Your Mind, present a community outreach initiative focused on bringing important conversations to the forefront about the value of healthy life habits, supporting those around us, and removing the negative connotation surrounding mental health. Our topic of conversation for this month is centered around Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, specifically the mental battle that comes with this physical battle that all these families are facing throughout the year. We encourage a safe space here during Strike Out the Stigma and encourage all to engage with our panel in this interactive conversation. We thank all those who have submitted questions beforehand that our wonderful panel will take the time to answer for you tonight. We are lucky to have an incredible panel to speak to you all tonight, so let's meet them. First, from our nonprofit panel, or nonprofit partner, Minding Your Mind, we have Evan Transu. Evan, it's great to have you here. Can you explain to our guests here and anyone watching and listening at home what you do for Minding Your Mind? Sure, and yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. So what I do uh, primarily at Minding Your Mind is I'm one of their young adult speakers. So the young adult speakers go to schools, mostly middle schools and high schools, and we share lived experiences that we had with our own mental health challenges. And the goal when sharing these things is to either, one, maybe ask the kids to ask for help themselves if they've never talked about it, or now in today's world it's switched up a little bit, right? The conversation's actually happening, but they might not have hope. They think this is an ultimatum, it's never gonna get better. And so now it's also serving a secondary purpose of just inspiring hope in those who might deal with this. It's the best job in the world, honestly. I'm glad to be able to do it. Thanks, Evan, we're glad you're here too. Next up on our panel is now a Strike Out the Stigma veteran. Please welcome Child Life Specialist Christina Conlin. Christina, it's great to have you back here on the panel. Can you explain to everyone out there what you do for a living and what your tie is to tonight's topic? Uh, yeah, so I am a Child Life Specialist. Um, so if you've never heard of a Child Life Specialist before, we work in all different types of hospital settings um, with all types of different diseases um, and or procedures. So when any kid comes into the hospital, whether it's for oncology or the ER or for a blood draw, child life specialists are there to help um, kids cope with the hospitalization and the procedure they're going through. So especially with oncology patients, we work with them and their families um, because cancer affects everyone in their family. Um, to work with them on how to speak to their child about cancer, um, the, whether they're having getting a port placed or um, having to have a lumbar puncture um, or a blood draw or a simple IV. Um, but we also do a lot of play. So and most of the things that we do are through play because that's how kids learn. Um, and some things we would teach a younger child wouldn't be how we would teach an older teenager. So we are trained in um, human development and on the ages of all different um, kids so we can help them of all ages. Um, and I kind of got into it by um, chance. I was in the business world as I was just saying and I went to an oncology camp that was looking for volunteers and they told me about a child life specialist and I was like that's what I want to do. I want to help um, try and make a difference in these kids lives. And I always say I can't help that they're here or that they're going through this um, but I can try and make it a little bit better in the hospital. 
Thanks, Christina. And finally, new for our Strikeout the Stigma this year is a Phillies front office co-host. And each month we ask a, a member of our Phillies front office to join us who's passionate about the topic at hand. And this month we are fortunate to have our senior accountant from the Philadelphia Phillies, Bobby Delapola, join us. So Bobby, thanks for joining us. Um, if you could share with the group what you do for the Phillies as well as why you are passionate about the topic at hand. Sure, thanks, TJ. Uh, so like TJ said, my name's Bobby Delapola. I've been a member of the Phillies Finance Department for a little under five years now, uh, mainly helping with our revenue areas, whether it be accounting, budgeting, forecasting, um, and how uh, you know I kind of tie into this or what um, you know why this topic means so much to me. So my brother and sister-in-law uh, had a son named Blaze, uh, my nephew, who was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma when he was three years old. Um, they caught it very early, it was very treatable, um, and the prognosis was very good. He, he went through treatment, chemo, radiation, and uh, culminated with a large uh, surgery to remove the tumor from his leg. Um, and after that, he was in a, a wheelchair and a, and a walker for a little while. But after that, he was able to retrain his leg and get back to his normal life, um, you know, back to school, doing the things that he loved to do. Um, his scans were good, he was cancer-free. Um, and then, unfortunately, a few years later, in December 2018, he ended up getting diagnosed with leukemia, which was a direct result from the treatment that he received for his Ewing sarcoma. Uh, this time, his prognosis was was not as good. Um, he was a very aggressive form of cancer, and he ended up passing away a few year, a few months later um, in March 2019, uh, a, little, a little after his seventh birthday. Uh, immediately after that, my brother and sister-in-law, who are hell of a lot stronger than I could ever be, um, began taking steps to form the Four Infinity and Beyond Foundation. So Blaze was a huge fan of Toy Story, which is why I have uh, Buzz Lightyear on my lapel. Um, and the purpose of that foundation is twofold. Number one, to support families who are struggling financially due to a child that has cancer, whether it be helping to pay bills, buy Christmas presents, birthday gifts, whatever it may be, just to support those families. Um, and number two, for pediatric cancer research, um, for them it's, you know, it's about hopefully that those future breakthroughs and those future uh, treatments and cures, um, while they might not be there to save Blaze, um, you know, his fight mattered and he can play a small role in helping future children. So it's something that I'm very passionate about, my family's very passionate about, um, and the Phillies could not have been more supportive, can, could not be more supportive of the work that we're doing in this initiative. So thank you so much and I'm excited to be on this panel. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks for sharing and thanks for being here tonight. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let's get started with a couple of the questions that we have for our great panel here. Evan, we'll start with you. First question is, communication is key when it comes to communicating with our friends and family. How important is it to have open communication with our family and friends when dealing with issues such as a diagnosis like childhood cancer? 
Sure. Well, I learned the hard way with my own mental health challenges that communication is not only key, I mean, it's everything. What happened in our family is my parents, great people, they took me to the doctor at five years old when they saw the first sign of panic attacks. Now, this doctor was a good person. This was about 21 years ago at the time. And just like maybe there was a stigma with non-doctors at that time, I'm guessing there was a stigma with doctors too. They might have missed certain things. They might not have been expecting it. And I'll never forget, even at five, that doctor said to me, this isn't something to worry about. Evan just gets himself a little too worked up. He's talking to myself and my parents. Well, that statement lasted with me through all of those teenage years. <laughs> and as I got worse and worse, my assumption, especially as a 10, 11 year old, I'm thinking, well, the doctor, that's one of the smartest people you could be. That's a really educated person. They make a good money. If they can't figure it out, there must be something wrong with me. And so I completely shut off that communication. And in fact, I believe the communication is so important, TJ, that's the sole reason that I speak, is to get people to start that conversation with anything, because that's how we avoid the drug overdoses when it comes to mental health. That's how we avoid people going to juvie and getting in trouble for other substance-related problems like I did. Now, when it comes to the cancer aspect, my mom didn't deal with cancer. Uh, but we saw a lot of illness in my family when I was young. She was diagnosed with Graves' disease. If you haven't heard of that, it's basically like Hashimoto's, which you guys have probably heard of, except it's the sped up version. It's not the slowed down version of the thyroid, it's a sped up version. And my mom and dad, awesome people, but their approach to this was we're not going to tell the kids because we don't want to worry them. Well, we sometimes forget kids are a lot smarter than we, <laughs> we remember, right? I knew something was wrong with mom, I just didn't know what it was. And so actually not having those conversations in the household ended up leading to paranoia, uh, distrust as a child, I'm like, why can't they tell me what's going on? And listen, I can't relate to the cancer thing specifically, that might be in a whole different category of health stuff, but when we have a family unit and these are supposed to be the people that you trust the most and love the most, and I'm not talking about the mental health stuff, mom's not talking about the Graves' disease, it ends up leading to a very I think disconnected family dynamic. And just because you're connected doesn't mean all of a sudden the health issues go away, but I think it makes it a hell of a lot easier and more probable that we're gonna get through those types of things. So that's what the communication side means to me. Absolutely, it's so important. And that leads into our next question for Christina. Uh, what is the most important thing a parent can do once they receive the news of their child's diagnosis? And I think exactly like he said, it's communication. Um, one of the main things is once a family is given their diagnosis, um, we meet with them and talk to the parents about how to tell their child. You know, again, based on their age, but trying to keep that open communication. And the main thing we say to them is you need to be honest with them. Um, and we may not need to tell them everything at once, but we're gonna tell them maybe in pieces. But we also need that to let them see you get upset, um, to see you struggle, um, to understand that we may not know all the answers right now to all of their questions. But having that open communication keeps that trust open because they're never gonna trust anything we say in the hospital. And there's lots of families that um, us as child life specialists in my career, we sit down with families to go over things to say, how to have those conversations, you know, with their child specifically, um, and having that open communication because we don't wanna break those barriers. We don't want them to think, well, no one's saying anything, but mom's crying in the corner a lot. It must be something really horrible, and why aren't they telling me? And then a lot of 
of children have imagination, so they're thinking the worst, um, or they're thinking other things. So how can we make sure that we're keeping that open? So a lot of times we'll sit with parents and say, if you know, having that initial conversation, um, practice it, we'll go in with them, so that um, it's a very hard conversation to have, and I've been in there with families, um, and you know, sometimes, Parents get emotional, but then we have the opportunity to help have that conversation to sometimes just get the words out and to explain that we're going to have those conversations along the way. And as we know things or as things are happening, then we're going um, to discuss that with them. So then each child knows that what we tell them is the honest truth because we want them to believe when we say something's not going to hurt, um, it's not. Or that if they're going to have surgery, exactly what they can expect when they come out. Um, and it's really keeping that communication, like he said, and that trust balance because that's truly um, a key to um, families and keeping that open communication. It really is part of the whole mental health process. Now, Bobby, that communication and open communication is important for parents, but it's also important for the extended family as well. What can members of the extended family, like you were Uncle Bobby to Blaze, what could members of the extended family do in terms of helping that communication and helping the parents along the way? Yeah, for sure. I, I, I think it's huge. I mean, one of my you know, favorite sayings when it comes to, to fighting this awful disease is that no one fights alone, right? And it takes a lot of people to help out. And unfortunately, when a child is diagnosed with cancer, the world does not stop, unfortunately. And there's still things that need to get done. People still have to go to work. People still have things that they need to do. And, you know, even those little things can, can lead to major anxieties. Um, and, you know, you, you think about your day and, you know, you're thinking about your child the entire time. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you got to figure out, all right, well, what do I, am I feeding my other kids for dinner? What am I going to eat? What do I have to do? Um, so, you know, being a member of that extended family and just being a small support system. And, you know, I, I love to say that, you know, no act of kindness, no matter how small, goes on punt or, you know, goes unnoticed. Um, and, uh, you know, just those little things of, you know, hey, can, can I make dinner for you guys tonight? Or, hey, I'm throwing a load of laundry in. Can I help you guys with that? Just those little things I think my brother and sister-in-law were most appreciative of because, you know, those things can build up. And like I said, the world does not stop. But, um, you know, to, to leverage that support system around you, and it's, it's called a support system for a reason. Um, I think for, for people that are on the periphery like I was, you know, just acknowledging that and, and being available in any way that you can. And also for the people that are going through it to ask for help. You know, you're not expected to do it all. Um, you know, I think you know, for, it, it was oftentimes uh, almost difficult or weird for me because you don't want to be overbearing to your family, but you also want them to know that you're there. So just asking for help, whether it's, you know, you think they're putting them out or not, you, you probably aren't. They want to help. They be, may just not know how to do that. So just leveraging your support system and leaning on those around you, I think, is incredibly important. And two, I think that's also something that we try as child life specialists to go over, even with parents, is you know making sure you are reaching out to your family members, trying to take those breaks that if Uncle Bobby can come in for a little bit with COVID, things have changed a little, but you can come in and visit so that maybe mom and dad can take a break because the world doesn't stop and they, some families have other children. And having those conversations and keeping that communication also open with them because um, it doesn't happen just to the child. It happens to the parents, it happens to the siblings, and trying to keep those schedules on and everything else and 
a lot of parents struggle with trying to keep the normalization of everyone else's life. So how can we have that communication with you know, all of our family members and um, making sure we're all getting the support we need um, because sometimes it's really hard to lean on other people and it's hard to ask for help and it's good to have those if we can. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now, Bobby said something. Uh, he said an incredibly just very touching story about Blaze and about his family, but he mentioned one word there that, Evan, I want you to touch on here, and that's anxiety. There's a lot of anxiety that can come along in the diagnosis and the treatment and even the recovery portion of this, di um, this terrible disease. Um, what advice would you give to those listening at home or watching at home when it comes to handling their anxiety throughout? Well, I think when we're talking about something as serious as this, like childhood cancer, we have to first acknowledge that a certain amount of anxiety, sadness, anger, resentment, whatever it might be, is probably justified. I think that's completely normal. I, I feel like in today's world, it goes back and forth. We either accept, accept that we need to have anxiety for the rest of our life, or we go the opposite way into complete stoicism and we're not supposed to react at all. I think there's a balance, right? There's the normal reaction, especially initially when this stuff happens, I would imagine. And that's okay to feel, that's okay to go through. But then at the same time, to your point, it's like how do we actually deal with this and get back to some sense of living? Well, what I like to do is just be kind of logical about it. And there might not be a lot of logic behind this, but what I mean is asking myself, okay, if I'm in a panic attack state, if I'm freaking out all the time, and let's say I'm the parent of someone that is a child and is dealing with the cancer, is my anxiety the most effective thing in this situation right now? Is that going to produce the best outcomes for my son or daughter when I'm like this? And I don't think that's going to shut it off the first time. But you ask yourself that 10 times, 20 times, 30 times, I think that can kind of assist you a little bit and it allows you to get back into a state of mind where you can actually be effective because that child needs you. Every decision that's made in that medical process, especially for someone from three to seven years old, is on the parents. We need them in the best state of mind for that. And so I think the summarized answer is acknowledging that, yeah, it's pretty normal to be anxious or feel bad in that situation, but then constantly asking ourselves, okay, is this effective? How can I turn this down a little bit so that I can also make sure the best outcomes actually occur? That would be my best answer as someone who hasn't actually dealt with that specific situation. This next question is for Christina, and it's such a, an, another inspiring question that I want to read word for word so I don't mess it up here. Uh, throughout your career, you have come across many children and many families. How much of a source of inspiration and strength have these children been for you in your career as they face their battles with so much courage? Uh, I can't even begin to describe. I don't think there are enough words to explain how these children and their families are such an inspiration. I um, am part of a medical team and I see kids at their worst and I see kids receive horrible diagnosis. Um, we as child life specialists also work with families at end of life 
um, should a child receive a diagnosis um, that they aren't going to make it. So working with those families to create um, legacy building and memory making, so doing handprints or footprints, um, and working with siblings on things that they will have and trying to create those memories. Um, so whether it's throwing birthday parties or um, you know every holiday trying to make it um, a great one to have those memories and you see the smiles on their faces and truly that is what gets me through my day sometimes because there are days you think I'm not I'm not helping this patient at all or that didn't go the way I thought it would go and um, then to see a family later down the road and them you know, explain how much it meant to them or when they see you to say your name and you think, oh, I was just such a small part of your journey. Like, how do you remember me? Or, you know, um, it really truly is so motivating um, to see these families, you know, face these struggles head on and every day is a different day and there are ups and downs. And um, like you were saying, you know, some days people are anxious and some days people are in a good space and it's just really taking it moment by moment and for me I just try and help to create those moments and those memories because we don't know what tomorrow will bring and we can only just take it one day at a time. Now Bobby, Christina has kind of alluded to this as well but earlier you mentioned something that no one fights alone in this. Um, and we've talked about the courageous kids themselves, but um, let's try to turn the focus to the siblings at this point, because the siblings are going through the same sort of battle as the children are. It's a family battle. Um, uh, we have some siblings here tonight in the back. Uh, how important is it for members of the extended family to also acknowledge the siblings and their needs throughout this process? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, I think it's immensely important. Um, you know, I, I, I became a parent after Blaze had passed away. I have a 20-month-old, and I think when you become a parent, you, you know, your, your whole mindset, mindset shifts to just the health and well-being and safety of your children. So when one of them is not healthy, you know, that, that you know, can eat away at you, and, you know, that becomes your biggest focus. But um, when you have other children, so Blaze had two younger has two younger siblings, uh, Lucy and Peter, um, just making sure that that they're okay and trying to you know keep things as normal as possible for them was a large priority for my my brother and sister-in-law. Um, and obviously, it's never it's not going to be normal, and you try to do the best you can. But you know, a, a big thing of theirs is they didn't want you know uh, Lucy to not be able to do um, you know things in her life that um, she would normally be able to do. She didn't, you know, they didn't want it to always be, oh, you know, you can't do this because of Blaze, you can't do X, Y, Z, you can't go to dance class, you can't do this or that. Um, so just, you know, it, uh, understand, I think that became a, a big priority for them in understanding how she was feeling and uh, making sure that, you know, she she was included as part of this, like TJ said, and it's not just uh, one person. And Christina, you kind of hinted at it. Um, uh, towards the end of Blaze's life when they knew he was going to pass, you know, creating those memories with Lucy and Peter. Um, Peter was a baby at the time, but Lucy was four years old. She's now eight and can now harken back to those memories with Blaze. And I think that means a lot to my to my brother and sister-in-law. Um, but and, and again, it's, it's all easier said than done, right? Um, but I think just acknowledge, it starts with acknowledging that um, there are other pe there are other children that are involved in this, although they may not be going through it physically. They are there emotionally, um, and just supporting them in any way that you can.
Evan, with the diagnosis such as childhood cancer, it may often feel as if we're losing control of the things that are happening in our daily lives. What are some ways that you can advise those watching or listening at home to cope with their feelings when it seems like they may be losing control of what's happening in their lives? Well, even having not experienced this specific situation of childhood cancer, right, I can definitely speak on that. Um, I always joke I'm like a recovering control freak. I'm trying to get better with that. And I think that's something anxiety disorders provoke. You feel out of control. Of course, you're going to develop some type of control problem, you would assume. And so there's a couple of things with it. One is just, and I know it's not this simple, but we got to strive for it. I think I'll be working on this for the rest of my life, and it has worked. It's just the acceptance that we are placed here, you know, religious or not, you're placed here, you're here right now, and this world is inherently out of control. A lot of us probably come down I-95 to get here. Uh, there are people going 100 miles per hour, and they could merge over at the wrong time, and something unfortunate happens. And that's not to have this pessimistic outlook on life. You don't want to live like that. But I lived my whole life thinking that I could be safe and control everything, and then you get to a certain point that you realize if you're trying to control everything, you're, you're not actually living at all. So we need to have some level of acceptance, and now in this situation, I don't know that acceptance is going to be an overnight thing, so what's another practical thing that could happen? I think it comes down to the same thing I mentioned with the anxiety about it. What can I actually do here, or is this effective to be anxious at this time? I would be wording that question the exact same way when it comes to control. All right, this is well out of my reach, but there's got to be something I can do. So what can I control here? And I think if we calm ourselves down to the ability that we're able and try to remain in control as much as we can, again, it comes back to we're able to make better decisions. We had an experience with cancer recently in my family, and there were certain things that probably weren't done the best, admittedly. And I don't blame anyone. It was scary as heck, right? So things happen fast. All of a sudden, someone's getting a surgery. That's because we're so out of control where we feel that way that all of a sudden we're just letting everything go to other people. And as we talked about, even though doctors are great at five years old, right, <laughs> that wasn't the best thing to be telling me at the time. And so I think the more we can stay in control, it comes down to that exact same thing I mentioned before with the anxiety. It allows us to focus on better decision making. What can I control? How can I actually affect this in a positive way? Um, so it's acceptance and then just focusing on those little things every single day that we can. Christina, what are some things that you have done throughout your career to provide a sense of faith and optimism for the families and for the children that you've come across that maybe you can advise to other child life specialists or other nurse practitioners or anyone who deals with families who are battling childhood cancer? What is some advice you would give to them and uh, something that has worked for you over the years? I think the main thing is to remember that they're kids. Um, a lot of times people forget that they are, you know, three, five, 17. Um, they're still kids and trying to let them live um, their lives and trying to provide that normalcy. And like I was saying a little bit before, that's some of the things we as child life specialists try to do by bringing um, things into the hospital. Like Halloween's coming up, so we have a big Halloween party where every kid is provided with a costume and staff go to room to room since kids can't really come out of their room, but it's, we call it reverse trick-or-treating. So we take the candy to each kid's room to try and normalize that experience and try and 
trying to make those memories. Um, and really just remembering that they don't realize all the big words. And um, we have a lot of sheets in our hospital about say this, not that. You know, we as adults understand some things um, and kids don't. So really just trying to make sure um, we're breaking down um, those words into what they understand um, and how we can do that. But really just trying to remember that they still have school and miss school and their friends and you know unfortunately being in the hospital they can miss graduations or proms and we as child life specialists and the nurses I work with uh, I mean everyone's amazing and we all try and band together whether it's a kindergarten graduation or a sibling's birthday trying to help create that as much as we can even in the hospital um, to make those memories and things happen because they're still kids and that's the main thing um, that they're looking for. And as Bobby said, life still goes on. Yeah. The world doesn't stop, and it's so important with Halloween coming up and the right. holidays coming up to still make those children feel as if they're not missing these holidays. Right. And, it's, and I think it's hard, especially, you know, with school, and you feel like you're missing out on your school, that school party, you know. Oh, I wanted to, I wanted to be there for that uh, Christmas party or Valentine's Day party, and unfortunately, they're with us. So I always say we can't help that they're with us, but we can try and make it a little bit better by trying bringing it to them in some small way. Now, Bobby, building off of that, um, Christina and her coworkers are such a, a large part of these families' lives as a support system. How important is it to surround ourselves with a healthy support system in terms of positive thinking and in terms of always being there for you, whether it's your family, friends, your business that you work for, or even your coworkers? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's hugely important. I think I alluded it to alluded to it earlier. Um, you know, it's okay to ask for help. I'm I'm certainly no mental health specialist or anything, but I think there's a saying in you know mental in the mental health space that it's okay to not be okay and to to ask for help um, when you need it. I know you know for my brother and sister-in-law, a release for them when Blaze was going through his first round of treatments was to start a blog just to get their feelings out and also allowed us to kind of see into what's going through uh, their minds and um, allowing us to help in in other ways. You know, like I said, I, I, as someone who wasn't going directly through it but was on that outside, it can kind of be awkward sometimes because you want to help you just don't know how to help um, and you know anytime any anytime my brother or sister-in-law needed something you know everyone was there to jump and and help when they could but oftentimes you just don't know how to do that so surrounding yourself with a, an awesome support system whether it be friends family organizations companies um, and, and leveraging that and, and using it because um, you know like I like I said earlier people, uh, no one fights alone and people want to help they just may not know how to do that sometimes so um, I think you know that, that, that's incredibly important as you go through this, that you're not alone and there are people that want to be there. Now, before we let this wonderful panel go, I know everybody wants to go in and watch the game as the Phillies are on their way to hopefully clinching a postseason berth here soon, but we want to ask our panel one last question, and this can double as a question or a call to action, and it's to better serve the community and all of us who want to help in these certain topics. Um, so we'll start with Evan, then go to Christine, and then end with Bobby. Um, but the final question is, how can we as a community spread awareness of mental health and help those children and families who are going through this difficult battle? So if there's anything that you want to leave a lasting impact with our listeners or our viewers at home, what would you say to them? 
Mine for this is relatively simple. I think we need to start acting like mental health or going to a counselor or psychiatrist is like going to the dentist. That's what I always say to people. If I asked you what you're doing Tuesday, I mean, it might not be the most eventful thing, but you would tell me that you're going to the dentist. You'd never think twice. And yet for some reason, so many of us in the mental health space are talking about ending the stigma and yet we'll hide when we go to things like that. I learned from uh, another speaker at Minding Your Mind, actually, I never knew this. He said that there used to be, he did research, there was a stigma around cancer um, decades ago. You actually, like it was something you weren't supposed to have, you couldn't really tell people, people didn't understand the severity of it. And now, most of us, even when I said that, kind of got some eyes, like, oh, that's surprising, I didn't know that happened. I looked it up and sure enough he was right. The only way that shifts is just by a continuous push. Um, I'm not really one of those people, I don't condemn it either, but I'm not one of those people who needs to push it in your face and just be, um, that's my entire identity, I don't do that, but if someone talks to me about this, I'm never gonna judge them and I'm very open when I'm doing something. In the pandemic, I went to a counselor like five or six times, that was the first time in seven years, just open about it. I did that. And because of that openness and that willingness to address this stuff from pretty much day one of having those feelings again, I only needed six sessions this time instead of like three years of reshaping my life, right? Because I didn't wait for it that time. So I think we're actually on the right track, believe it or not, as a society. I think the last two years is going to be the worst of it ever because all of a sudden it's coming out. Now this is like all our dirty laundry is exposed to the world. All these people are talking about it that never spoke about it before. I think that's a good thing. It's a blessing in disguise. The situation that I mentioned in the beginning, if you were here about five years old, a doctor of missing panic attacks, that is never going to happen again in this country and many countries around the world because of us continuously talking about it. Christina? And I, you know, to piggyback off that, I think having conversations is the main thing. And having panels like this in any type of disease or um, mental health issue, having those conversations is really the key into um, making a difference. Um, the more we talk about it, the more we normalize it in a way because, you know, I always say people don't want to tell you what the bad stuff that's going on in their life. Um, so they may be going to therapy, but that's exactly, they don't talk about it. And um, you're not alone out there. And I think the more we can get people to talk about things and uh, lean on other people, regardless of your situation, that um, having these conversations will become easier and we will get more people more help. Bobby, final words. Yeah, I agree with um, both of what uh, Evan and Christina said, but I, I think for me it's just, uh, you know, people that are going through, whether it be mental health issues or cancer or whatever it may be, there are resources available. Um, whether those resources are professionals like Evan and Christina or just your family as a resource, your friends, there are resources available and you're never alone, although it may feel that way at times, um, you are never alone and there are people that want to help. So anytime someone's going through anything, but specifically how it relates to mental health and pediatric cancer, there are resources available and um, just to continue to have those conversations, let people know that and leverage them. Bobby, two things you said there, no one fights alone and that it impacts all of us is something that's very true for the Phillies right now. Um, one of our minor leaguers, Corey Phelan, is battling childhood cancer right now. He's a 19-year-old kid who's in our minor league system. Um, Corey, if you're watching this, we're thinking of you. Your whole Phillies family has your back, and to the whole Phelan family, we're thinking of you through these tough times. Um, I want to thank our panel, our incredible panel, for joining us tonight. They'll stick around if anybody has any extra questions. Um, thank you again. That rounds out our Strike Out the Stigma series for the regular season, and hopefully we'll see you in the postseason. Go Phillies. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.